All right, so it's noon. Uh, Mark, you, do you want to wait a few more minutes for uh, Tobias, or you want to get started? I would say let's uh, let's just start. I think. That... Okay, great. So uh, thanks everyone for joining uh, to another call on the Longevity Biotech Show here. Um, <clears throat> I'm Robert Zimmon, uh, co-hosting with Nathan Cheng. We are. Um, interviewing scientists, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders advancing the state of the art in longevity biotech and how this will, uh, oh, Tobias is here, welcome, uh, how this will impact us and the world in the decades directly ahead and how you might be able to help or, or follow in their footsteps. So uh, the, way this, uh, the way we're going to do this today is uh, we will have a quick intro from everyone and then uh, probably around 35 minutes of prepared Q&A, and then we'll open it up to the audience for another 15 minutes, uh, a few minutes of closing, and then we'll have an open-ended chat for anyone who has the interest in time. So uh, maybe we can get started with uh, introductions. M Mark, do you want to go first? Yes, happy to do so. So uh, good evening or uh, good morning, everybody, depending on where are you uh, tuning in. Uh, my name is Mark, and great for uh, having us here today. I'm a big fan of your activities, Robert and Nathan. Um, I'm originally a tech entrepreneur, so I was always interested in new emerging technologies. So right after college, I founded my first internet company back in 1999, and uh, was also very early Bitcoin back in 2012. So that um, longevity was something I was somehow following um, I think for the first time back in 2010, when I was at the conference where Aubrey de Grey was speaking. Um, as far as I uh, know, you were the guys who brought Aubrey uh, to Clubhouse uh, for your show uh, last week. So the first time um, he was speaking here. So we're happy to uh, be the next ones after Aubrey, which, uh, who also just recently joined our um, advisory board at Maximum. And yeah, out of this uh, connection to uh, Aubrey, I followed the whole space uh, more closely. And together with uh, my uh, partners, we now uh, started Maximum. Fantastic. Yes, uh, we, are, we are very happy to have you here. And yes, uh, we, we did have quite some behind the scenes to get Aubrey de Grey and his uh, team onto Clubhouse, but we're happy that he, he finally made it. Um, Colin, uh, it's, it's a... A pleasure to have you here. Maybe a, a quick intro, then we'll we'll get to, to Q and A later. Sure. Um, thank you, everyone, for um, having me. So um, uh, my name is Colin Ewalds. I'm an assistant professor at ETH Zurich in Switzerland. My interest in aging research started around 20 years ago, and been actively into doing research in aging for the last 15 years. So I'm really happy to be on the forefront of the aging field and I'm here to share the excitement about the new science coming out. Thanks, uh, we're really happy to have you here and uh, looking forward to what you have to say. Uh, Tobias, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much, pleasure to be here. Um, I myself, from my background, I always have been an entrepreneur. I built my first company when I was a student. Um, and then between uh, 30 and 40, so that's basically the last 10 years, 
uh, I was uh, tackling a, a topic which I really I'm still very fond of, which is climate change. And so I built uh, an investment company which so far has invested uh, roughly $1.7 billion in clean infrastructure fighting climate change, even more so in, in debt as well. Um, and I handed over after 10 years leadership uh, to uh, co-CEOs uh, because, you know, once you do something for 10 years, maybe it's not as exciting as it was at the beginning. And maybe also it's time from an entrepreneur perspective to hand over to managers. And I was looking for a new topic where I burn for. And uh, um, similar to Mark, uh, I was basically stumbling over what is longevity uh, many years ago in 2016 when I attended the Singularity University and last year during the lockdown I had a lot of time uh, to read uh, deeper into that topic and together with Mark then as he mentioned we decided to do uh, a conference, the Longevity Investors Conference. We got a lot of positive feedback and the more I learned about this topic the more I decided wow that's what I want to do next and so uh, I, I see life uh, as a bit in 10-year projects. Yeah, I don't necessarily say it must be only 10, it can also be more. But so I decided for the next 10 years, I want to engage um, in the topic of longevity. And that, that's when we decided to uh, not only have the conference, but to build Maximon, uh, the longevity company builder. And so that's what we're doing right now. Thanks. Uh, we are very interested in, in what you have to say here. Um, I, I will introduce myself and Nathan. If you'll lead in, advice, you just have to mute yourself. Thanks. Uh, Nathan will lead in with questions for, for you and Mark with Maximon. Uh, so I'm a, a researcher at an aging biology lab in uh, Canada at the moment. I have about 10 years of experience in uh, bioinformatics and research software engineering in academia and industry. And in the last year, I've been uh, getting more into the uh, longevity biotech uh, uh, space in terms of uh, trying to promote the ideas and uh, and see what else can be done to try to encourage activity uh, uh, going on here. So we have the Q&A with Nathan. And um, Nathan, I'll, I'll pass it over to you. I just want to remind everyone, I forgot to say this at the beginning. We are recording this. So if you uh, do come up as a, uh, uh, like on the speaker's area, asking questions or anything, uh, you're consenting that we can uh, use your your audio and image uh, in the recording. So uh, Nathan, I'll pass it over to you. Great, yeah. So um, I'm Nathan. I'm the founder of longevitymarketcap.com and the uh, associated newsletter there. So uh, fun fact, uh, Mark was actually the first subscriber to my newsletter. Uh, on pretty much the first day that it came out. So How funny, I didn't early... know that. <laughs> yeah, he's an early adopter. <laughs> Excellent. So um, yeah, so I have a newsletter that basically covers uh, different developments in the longevity biotech space. It's once a week, uh, so you can sign up at uh, longevitymarketcap.com if you're interested. I'm also a founder of um, longevitylist.com. So that's a jobs board. So if anybody's interested in joining uh, the longevity industry. If you're, if you're passionate about uh, moving this, this industry forward, I encourage you to check it out. Um, it's also a longevity list is also a uh, database of all the startups, companies, investors uh, in the longevity space. And um, yeah, so I think we're just going to go ahead with questions now. Uh, the first part, we're, we're going to focus mainly on uh, Maximon 
uh, from the point of view of Mark and Tobias, the founders. Uh, and then the second half, we'll dig more into science with Robert and uh, asking some questions for Colin. So I guess the first thing I, I want to ask uh, Mark and Tobias is why Maximon, right? Like, uh, so for those who don't know, Maximon is like a, a venture building uh, company based in Switzerland. Uh, there's a lot of people interested in longevity. They want to uh, invest and uh, help companies. But uh, your model is pretty interesting. So uh, maybe you can share a bit about the structure of Maximon and how it differs from other sort of uh, investing vehicles in the space. Yeah, maybe I, I go first here and then Mark can correct me and, and add. Um, I think what makes us special here is we are not a venture investor. So we don't look around for interesting startup companies, uh, you know, which already have done uh, some steps and are now looking for additional financing. And then we just provide financing, you know, and maybe some contacts. It's rather different. I mean, we really build startups together with founder teams from the scratch. Uh, we provide capital. Uh, we provide network as well, office space. But also we provide we provide manpower. We we help building it. In some cases, we initiate uh, a new company. Um, maybe we don't yet have the full co-founder team on board, um, but we basically help starting up something. Yeah? The very good thing for the founders is that they fully can focus on the product or service they do. We take care of the fundraising. We take care, as I said, you know, of office space, HR, legal, IT, all that stuff. Yeah. And in addition to that, it also helps that there is not a, such a high dilution. So our model is that basically the founding team keeps 50% of the shares up and until we can really do a double-digit venture round. Uh, that's normally whatever, two, three, four years down the road. Uh, and, and with this, the founding team has probably a smaller dilution than if they would have started up themselves, you know, do a pre-seed round, the seed round, the seed B round, and so on. Um, so it's it's really a win-win for everybody. We are faster, uh, we dilute less, um, and and we enable a team to really full, uh, fully focus on on the product they do. Uh, Mark, what did I forget? Yeah, nothing uh, to correct. Maybe just to add, um, I think we see each other as you might have heard, and we have two other founding partners. They're also uh, coming from the business and entrepreneur side. So. We are definitely not the scientists and researchers, but we want to build a bridge uh, between science and business. So ultimately, Maximum um, has the vision and ambition to uh, make the inventions and the researchers in the labs uh, becoming tangible and creating real life business cases out of that. So literally, becoming the bridge between science and, and business. And that's why, as Tobias mentioned, our team is not complete yet. We will have a chief science officer joining us in May. And we have a great support, among others, from uh, Colin, which is helping us um, from a science perspective. We have um, Evelyn from the University of Shanghai and recently Orbi de Grey supporting us as well. So that's um, the positioning we have. Yeah, that's great. I think this is really needed in uh, longevity and, and biotech in general. Um, 
some of the people that I've spoken to, uh, especially academics on Clubhouse who are interested in longevity, a lot of them don't know how to approach the business side, right? So academics who have been in academia essentially their entire life uh, find it rather a daunting task to actually do the business. And since you guys have so much experience, I think this is like an excellent opportunity for anybody um, who is interested in um, starting a longevity company. So maybe we can um, move on to uh, a question about what kind of companies you are interested in. So um, is there a particular unifying theme in the companies that you are interested in building? Yeah, maybe I go first this time. Um, as you might have maybe seen on our website, we already um, mentioned two of our first companies. They are more in stealth mode, but two are literally already public. And we are, as we speak, um, in the process of setting these companies up, including the founders and everything you need when you start a company. One is uh, in the longevity supplement field. In our view, a very obvious and straightforward case. Literally everybody which, uh, who he uh, hears about longevity has a, a certain uh, demand for um, supplements. That's also what we saw after we organized the Longevity Investors Conference last year. So that's our first uh, venture and challenge we want to tackle. And the other one uh, in the working title, Longevity U, is a platform offering information and also additional services for everybody interested in longevity. So as you might see, it's not uh, the moonshot approach yet. So we start with very simple, very straightforward, very business-oriented approaches. But I think that we can really generate a sustainable and also short-term uh, value out of these uh, activities in the longevity field in general. Yeah, maybe what, what we should add is like, uh, you know, Maximum is a company builder is a platform. So it's not only that we have ideas and then build teams around them, but it's also that teams can come to us uh, currently. And this is stealth. We are talking with a very interesting team uh, of researchers. Uh, they have found, uh, cannot tell too much right now, but a very, very promising uh, solution uh, which will help a lot uh, on the on the longevity and uh, rejuvenation side um, and, and there uh, we are interested to basically tell them hey uh, go on focus on research but we help you making a business out of it yeah and uh, we provide you with the money needed now to to make this a bit bigger and and, and also from the beginning on to have a, a global mindset so in general we are interested in anything which is either promoting longevity or impact by longevity. I mean, one thing which is not a secret, it's not that we are currently already working on it, but look at the pension fund problem. Yeah. So if, if longevity goes the right way, people will be very healthy and fit towards a very high age and they will also live a bit longer. Um, our pension system already today, uh, let's be honest, is, yeah, is not doing very well. Um, uh, pension funds uh, were built for people working till 65 and then dying latest at 73. And now in Switzerland, we are at, uh, I think, 83.5 years life expectancy. And this is keeping growing up. Yeah, 
so there, that might be an interesting thing to say. Let's build an asset manager, uh, a company which is helping people to invest for a lo very long life because they cannot rely on a pension. So we, we have a very broad mandate. Um, whatever is, you know, research-based, uh, evidence-based is interesting, but then also fields which might not be directly uh, you know, thought about when you think of longevity can also be very interesting. So uh, anybody with a great idea, business idea, uh, can come to us and we are very happy to look at it. Great, yeah. So can people who are based outside of Switzerland also uh, apply for your uh, maximum complement? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Switzerland is a great country and, and we have excellent universities. But I think we will not have all best ideas coming from within Switzerland. So we are very open and we also plan to build our platform internationally. Uh, you know, very much also we are a virtual company, but uh, we will build presences both in, in the Americas and in Asia. Uh, that's also why from the beginning on we have an international advisory board. Um, so, yeah, we are absolutely open uh, for all geographies. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. So anybody in the audience who has some ideas, uh, maybe have a project or a company that's uh, that you're thinking of starting, definitely reach out to Mark and Tobias at Maximon. Okay. Um, so I also wanted to discuss uh, this idea about uh, like financial products. You were talking about the pension system. Uh, I noticed there was a, a a job notice on Maximon for a spec um, sort of professional. And obviously, from my point of view, monitoring the, the longevity industry and also uh, the publicly traded stocks, this is very interesting to me. Is there anything you can share or is this very hush-hush? Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, yeah, go, go ahead, Tobias. <laughs> okay, I try to be brief. Um, look, longevity as a sector is moving fast and a lot of money is needed uh, out there. There is a lot of great companies people have not yet heard about and they are in a stage where, you know, they can now wait maybe another three years for an IPO uh, and, and be heavily diluted uh, until they are, uh, you know, ready to do that and preparing an IPO takes normally north of a year or they are financed by a SPAC. So, I think a SPAC is a super good solution right now um, to combine two things. One is a lot of institutional investors have simply too much money and they don't really know where to go with that. And B, uh, out there in, in the longevity industry, there is a lot of cap companies which are very promising in the need of fast capital. Uh, and uh, so with a SPAC, you basically can match that. Yeah? And we are cur currently as one of our sub-companies um, uh, establishing uh, Maximum Capital, uh, where we build a team uh, in order to uh, basically run us back. Yeah, and maybe to add, um, as already mentioned, I mean, we definitely want to bring more uh, business uh, people, business perspective, and also money into the whole space. As you all know, Aubrey de Grey is always evangelizing that the more investors investing into longevity companies, the faster we can uh, boost the developments together. And that's why also from a long-term perspective, uh, bringing more traditional institutional money via a spec into the field 
would definitely boost the whole ecosystem. So there's beside the business element, definitely also a certain ideological idea behind. And one of our ambition is definitely to bring a lot of money from uh, so far not longevity related sources into the whole industry and companies. Yes, definitely. So maybe touching on that, um, another source of capital that could be interesting is uh, crypto, right? So Mark is uh, an early crypto investor, very well known in the crypto community. And uh, obviously there's been a noted overlap between crypto and uh, longevity. So I was wondering uh, what your thoughts are on that. Like why, why are they so connected and what sort of uh, potential collaborations or or connections do you see um, for investing for those two? Yeah, I think we are both uh, very deep into crypto. I mean, Tobias is the co-founder and chairman of Crypto Finance Group, the first fully regulated uh, asset manager and broker dealers house uh, in Europe, where I'm also in the board. So we both have a very close relation to the whole digital asset space. I think one of the elements, as you already have heard from uh, us, is that both industries have a huge exponential potential, but maybe not uh, everybody sees that in the early stage where we joined these industries. And I think that's one similarity. And ultimately, I think it's interesting, as you might know, that quite well-known people from the crypto space like Vitalik Buterin, the Winklevoss twins, or Mike Novogratz, they're big philanthropic supporters, among others, of the SENSE initiative of Aubrey de Grey and also some other non-profit um, initiatives in the longevity field. So it's uh, very fascinating to see and again meet a lot of the people we already did business in the Bitcoin and digital asset space again when uh, we now move into the longevity industry. Yeah, uh, I definitely know that notice the, the overlap between the two. I, I wonder if there's a way to get uh, even more of that capital in the crypto community because, you know, obviously the recent boom has been very beneficial to those who have invested. Um, yeah, so I was wondering if there's a way to get them into uh, longevity, but uh, that's something we can discuss in, in the future. Um, yeah, so just looking forward, um, you, you mentioned uh, in an article um, that Maximon uh, has uh, $50 million that will be invested over four years. Right now, uh, you're not taking any outside money. Uh, uh, that's what I'm, as far as I understand. But uh, in the future, there might be a co-investment fund. So what do you think uh, about, or how do you see the future of Maximon in the next, uh, I guess, five to 10 years? Yeah, five to ten years nowadays is, is a long horizon because it's everything is developing so fast. Um, look, this year we will found three companies. Uh, that, that's already clear, and maybe a fourth one as well. Let's see. Uh, just yesterday evening we decided that, or we discussed that we might need bigger offices uh, already by the beginning of next year. Um, our goal is basically that next year we will uh, launch another four to five companies. And in year three, then maybe even like five to seven. Uh, so that's a bit the horizon we currently discuss. Um, uh, you said it correctly. We are self-financed at the beginning now. This 
it just allows us to focus on, on building companies yeah, instead of running around for fundraising. However, uh, we do plan a fund. It's a co-investment fund. Um, we think about launching it towards the end of this year. Um, and then this co-investment funds together with us uh, will basically finance the startups uh, we, are, we are building here uh, throughout the Series A, as I said, a venture round. Um, and I think that that's, again, a very interesting model because the, the idea is, as I said, the team keeps 50% maximum then as the initiator and, and basically birth helper gets 25% and the fund as the, the financing uh, entity uh, up to a Series A gets also 25%. So it's a very straightforward model, um, different to other whatever incubators or company builds uh, venture studios. We clearly put the teams into the middle of attention. That's why they get the biggest share. Otherwise, we cannot get the best people. Uh, so we are, we are very happy to be a minority shareholder later on um, because we believe that, you know, the, if we have a great team, uh, you don't necessarily need to have the majority here. So if you ask us where we are in 10 years, well, in 10 years, Maximum will be a multi-billion uh, shareholder in very exciting longevity companies. Yeah? Um, I cannot tell you all of them yet because some of them we, we just don't know yet. They will come to us. As I said, it's a lot of, lot of outside ideas coming to us then and we help, we help them to be successful. So, but the, the next three years you can expect from us that we in total uh, launch, you know, 10 to 15 startups uh, in the field of longevity. Great, yeah. So before we switch over to Colin and talk about some of the science, um, maybe I'd just like to uh, give you a chance to uh, put out any notice to the audience. Is there something that, um, uh, we or anybody in the audience can help you with? Are you guys looking to hire? I, I know obviously you're looking for entrepreneurs, people who have ideas and longevity to come uh, collaborate with you, but uh, anything at all that you guys uh, would like to put out there? Yeah, I mean, it would be definitely uh, great uh, to visit our website, maximum.com, where we have uh, quite a few public job profiles published. I mean, we have a few ones which are not publicly published, but um, you get a certain indication about the profiles we're looking for at the moment for our existing public ventures. Additionally, um, yeah, reach out to us if you think that we can help you to uh, make uh, your research, which should be longevity related, uh, tangible and a big business together with us. And um, besides that, I think uh, most in this room have a uh, close connection to the industry. So ultimately, it's about making the dream and vision behind the idea of longevity becoming a reality. That's ultimately the main reason why we are doing Maximum. Yeah, and I can add on that. I mean, at, at this stage of an industry, it's not about competition, it's about cooperation. Uh, so we are very interested also to talk to others building company here um, you know, we, we, we are building an ecosystem. And, and what we also should say is that we will do our Longevity Investors Conference again at the end of September. So also everybody who is interested, you know, to play a role there or just being an attendant, uh, you also can reach out to us, of course. Great. And now to the science. <laughs> yes, to the science. Robert. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Um, so, Colin, uh, 
Very good to have you here. And it's uh, wonderful to see that you're getting involved with uh, commercialization of uh, longevity ventures. Uh, so it's funny because uh, being an, in research myself, I, I've been studying you and following your work for a couple of years, ever since I was at Genentech in San Francisco. And so I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with uh, what you do uh, in your lab already, but, but perhaps you can share with uh, the rest of the audience here. Uh, you focus on extracellular matrix research in uh, uh, C. elegans with an aim to understand the biology of aging. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit on what this means and, and why you're focusing on, on this area. Well, thank you very much. Um, so yes, my lab is basically interested, interested in the molecular underpinning what happens during aging and how we can um, improve certain things that go wrong during aging with you know some genetics tricks or with uh, pharmacological interventions. And so back in the days, um, I compared all the longevity interventions that we known and that are conserved and try to figure out what happens when these longevity interventions are mobilized. And so, of course, there was lots of protection going on inside the cells. We have a great understanding how proteins inside the cells are maintained, how uh, reactive oxygen species are, you know, either used for signaling or uh, uh, quenched. But we have little understanding what happens actually outside of the cells. And so when I looked at this longevity intervention, one common denominator I noticed was actually the extracellular matrix. So I stumbled really by accident into the extracellular matrix. And so now my lab is trying to figure out what role plays the extracellular matrix. So just to give you a little bit background on this is, um, since we are a multicellular organism and we have around uh, you know, uh, trillions of cells, these all need to be connected together and uh, to form a multicellular organism. And so, of course, aging not only happens inside the cells, but also outside. And so um, the organism has to maintain the extracellular matrix. And you see many age-dependent diseases like uh, cancer that forms a much stiffer extracellular matrix, or you get uh, fibrosis, which is making too much extracellular matrix, too much collagen, for example, or osteoporosis, which makes too little extracellular matrix, right? So there's a real disbalance going on during aging that affects the extracellular matrix. And so what we have found using Cialgans is, is that when you manipulate the extracellular matrix, we can actually extend the lifespan of an organism. So you, uh, you sort of stumbled into this uh, after researching or, or looking into other areas of uh, what can eventually perhaps become longevity therapeutics. You have on your uh, lab's website as the strategic goal to identify novel strategies to improve human health span. And, and you mentioned that uh, the matrix is really a common component amongst all these. Um, why did you focus on C. elegans uh, as, as a model, primary model organism? Although I, I, I can see here that uh, you have uh, done work or you've published on, on mice and, and other organisms as well. Well, that's a very simple um, answer to your question. I mean, if you would start, I can study the matrix in humans, but you know, 
looking at the exon matrix doing aging will take a long, long time. And the same thing is true for um, looking at the exon matrix in mice. I mean, it, the mouse lifespan is around four years, right? And so if I wanna look at real old mice, I have to wait another two and a half year to three years to, to um, finally um, start my interventions. And so to be much quicker, we use the small organism C. elegans, which lives around one month and aging happens pretty quick. And aging of the exomatics happens around in, uh, in days. So within eight days during their adulthood, the exomatrix starts to change. So we see those changes. And importantly, we see those changes in vivo. We see it in a living organism. And so we can see those changes, we can manipulate everything there and see what's the effect on, on aging. So it's like the first litmus test to see whether any intervention uh, remodels the external matrix and also increases uh, lifespan. And then we, we go on and try to find the proof of concept in cell cultures, uh, basically more in organoids. And finally, we, we try to test our intervention in very old mice. Um, so, you know, you can nowadays actually order old mice and then we start our interventions and see what happens within six months, whether we can reverse some of the aging changes or not. And so basically we, we go from um, through different model organisms, trying to go up the translational value chains and hopefully end up with, you know, some cool new uh, targets uh, for pharmaceutical things or you know establish novel knowledge that can lead to further interventions so it's for practical reasons makes sense uh you it's very interesting you mentioned organoids just now um is this an area that you're uh looking at uh to, to you know it's a quite an exciting area also of, of biomedical research but uh are you trying to make uh, use more of these uh, to make more use of these kinds of uh, platforms and new platforms like organoids or uh, is that something you just recently started experiment with so so these are things we just uh, trying to get into so I mean these whole things lab on shape and things like that they've been out for a while but now it becomes more and more clear that we can actually, you know, produce these extracellular matrices in, in these organoids. I mean, basically you can produce a nice extracellular matrix in, in a cell culture by crowding, uh, molecular crowding um, the liquids phase over the cells. So basically every cell produces their own extracellular matrix. So they're constantly producing big proteins like collagens and proteoglycans and once the cell has produced not enough of them then it starts to remodel their exome matrix and you know it's a back and forth from outside of cells to inside of the cells so we can do this just in regular um, cell culture dishes but you know again i mean we are multicellular so you have different cell types and you know one cell type can produce the exome matrix for another cell type and they're all surrounded. So you need this interplay and organoids is a fantastic system to uh, model these aspects. All right, now just a few more minutes here uh, before we open it up to audience questions. Uh, perhaps I can ask in connection also to the, the science and the work that you're doing, 
uh, and how it relates to your involvement now with uh, Maximon and uh, Market Device and, and others. So you've you've uh, uh, had a quite a distinguished career already. Uh, you have studied or worked in a, a number of different uh, labs around the world, including the City University of New York, um, and uh, I believe in, in Basel too, <laughs> according to your CV here. So. Um, my question now is, uh, what is it like working at the ETH in Zurich and the Department for uh, Biosystem Science and Engineering? Um, is it making your your uh, commercialization involvement uh, easier? Are there limitations? Uh, what's your? Do you collaborate with others who have expertise in in other areas of uh, biomedical research? What What are your thoughts on this? Exactly. So I've just to back up, I've been the last 10 years uh, in the US. So first in New York and then in Boston at Howard Medical School and at the White Tech, I'm MIT for a little while. And, you know, when I came back, so after 10 years in the US, um, you know, there was a personal decision to come back to, to Switzerland. And ETH is actually great because um, they, you know, they have a real pipeline to um, do startups, right? And I think it's one of the best pipelines in Europe, at least. And they provide you with almost everything. So, I mean, my, you know, daily interactions, I have phone calls with the tech transfer and they take the time to explain different things uh, and things I don't understand. Plus they provide, you know, a real nice environment for my PhD students or postdocs who want to start a, uh, build a company. They have courses, they have, um, you know, things that uh, prepare you for different grants, also for, you know, Swiss grants is one of them. And, you know, the interaction is pretty vibrant and I think it's a very exciting place to be at ETH uh, to do these kind of things. And they have a really good uh, track record. So, I mean, if you look at the uh, startup company that come out and how long they last, I think they are, um, almost world leading. And so so this brings me also to the connection to to maximum. So always in uh, my scientific career, I always had this, uh, you know, lookout for entrepreneurial things. Um, and, you know, as you know, this uh, Mark and Tobias, they're super energetic, um, very vibrant and, and, and smart and, and smart business people. And you know when when they approached me, I really liked um, their their kind uh, new kind of way to venture into that space. I've been watching for quite some while, and as you know, and my role with Maxim is to be um, an independent scientific advisor, so I can bring you know all the the science knowledge I have, I can bring to the table, and I can also honestly tell them. Um, what I think about, you know, the science that different startups or companies bring, right? I can, you know, that makes it always nice to be, um, you know, independent and um, and saying like uh, what really is true. And I think this is going to help them also to uh, make the right decision and move around in this kind of space. It's fantastic. I apologize. Also, it looks like uh, actually you're affiliated with the Department of Health Science and Technology, not DBSSC. Um, 
one last question, I guess we can open up uh, to the audience afterwards. So aside from the work that uh, you're doing and uh, that you're getting involved with in uh, uh, with market device now, who would you say is, in your opinion, doing the most interesting uh, frontline research in, in academia and in industry at the moment? Oh, <laughs> so I'm a big fan of uh, Anne Prinet. Um, she has just developed uh, the killifish model, um, which lives only for around uh, three months, and it's the next closest step to uh, us humans. Um, so um, she's at the forefront, a big fan of, uh, of her. And then my own personal hero is, of course, uh, Cynthia Canyon, who uh, started this whole thing in 1993, where she discovered that the single mutation in a single gene can double the lifespan and also shows that showed that's under um, biochemical control. And that opened up the whole field actually of aging research as we know. And, and she now, um, you know, had a wonderful academic career and now wandered into, uh, you know, work with um, Gallico, the longevity company, right? Of course, yes, yeah, she's at Calico now, so for some time, so uh, maybe with some luck, we can get some folks from Calico, perhaps even her, uh, and, and you know, uh, put some uh, follow-up questions also to see what they're up to. Uh, all right, thank you so much. Colin, where can people learn more about your work? What is the best place you, uh, you would recommend? So um, we have a website, um, evolab.com. You can check it out there or um, follow at, uh, I have a Twitter account. You can follow our Twitter account where we tweet our latest exciting science. Uh, yeah. All right, fantastic. So we're gonna open up to questions from the audience. Uh, if you have a question, just raise your, raise your hand here. We'll bring you up. Uh, just a reminder to everybody, uh, we are recording this, so if you come up to the speaker's area, you're consenting to be part of the, uh, to have your voice and, and photo as part of the recording. So, Max, uh, welcome to the stage. Thanks for uh, waiting patiently. Uh, what What is your question for our panel? Hey, guys. Um, great conversation so far. Um, I've got, like, a question which respect to Switzerland. There are, like, two things about Switzerland. Switzerland is quite, um, obviously, like a financial hub of the world. It's, like, very uh, crypto-friendly. But it also has like a lot of stuff going on in um, medicine and pharmaceuticals, right? So I'm wondering um, how, what's like the the legislative stuff going on in in Switzerland with regards to longevity? How does like the population, the government see it? And also, do you see like the big pharmaceuticals that are like um, headquartered in Switzerland moving into longevity and putting money in, or at least having conversations with you guys about the, the topic in Switzerland? Yeah, I, I, I love that question uh, because I think it, it's absolutely the right one. Um, so we believe that Switzerland is ideally situated, uh, you know, both because of people here already live quite long. I think after Japan, we are number two or three uh, with 83.5 years life expectancy right now. But also uh, because of, as you mentioned, pharmaceutical company, bioscience companies here, excellent universities. Um, and what we have done is where Mark and I, we spoke together with a friend of ours who is a politician, uh, the youngest uh, national councillor in Switzerland, Andre Silberschmidt, and uh, told him what we are doing. And he got very excited as well and said, well, you know, let, let's do something about. And so I think about 
three, four weeks ago, he handed in to our government, that's seven ministers in Switzerland, um, uh, interpellation, uh, that's basically a question, uh, asking, okay, what is Switzerland doing for longevity and what can we do in order to become the longevity valley? So this is now an official uh, question. Uh, a whole process has been set in course with that and the government now must answer within a certain period of time, I think some months, uh, what our national plan for this is. So we have started indeed a political discussion here uh, because we, we really think that Switzerland can move fast in, in this direction, maybe even can come to a point where we say, hey, aging uh, is, is, is something which is not just inevitable, but it can be treated. Um, and if Switzerland would make, uh, you know, as the first country in the world to move in this direction, this, of course, would really put us at the forefront. So, yeah, I, I'm very excited for Switzerland uh, having a chance here to not only be the crypto valley, but also the longevity valley. Um, They're wanna, very nice prospects. Thank you. I want to add to this. Uh, you, you know, the excitement there is also, I mean, I'm the founder of the Swiss Society for Aging Research, right? And uh, a year or two years ago, the WHO uh, didn't have aging research anymore in their agenda, right? So then this, the Swiss Society, the German and other societies came up with some letters and, you know, can heavily involved to, to put this back on the table, right? And now me being in academia and trying to connect all the researchers, I noticed that, you know, I can make certain impact uh, for, for politics and policies, right? But I was super excited with Mark and Tobias, you know, really in this short amount of time, had such a huge impact. And so I think this is, you know, the excitement to join uh, academia and industry to act on that kind of political level. So, yeah, and maybe to add that's ultimately, again, our long term vision and ambition. We have a very holistic approach. I mean, ultimately, we want to become successful with Maximum and our companies. But beyond that, we really want to shape uh, the whole space. And that goes far further than the activities of Maximum itself. So, by also addressing uh, society, involving politicians, bringing it up to the governments because we all need a regulatory framework which is fostering these new quite disruptive technologies. And in Switzerland, we saw how quickly uh, we were able to back then also shape the framework for the whole blockchain and digital asset space. So the term crypto valley and now longevity valley is definitely a good analogy. And that's why, yeah, we wanna be active on all different layers and fields to really uh, foster the ecosystem from a holistic and, and broad perspective. So I should just point out a uh, fantastic question and answer. Uh, Max is actually a PhD student in Brian Kennedy's group at the National University of Singapore. And the government of Singapore is also uh, quite active in trying to uh, do very much what I think you guys are, are talking about here. So uh, some, some friendly competition from uh, the other side of the world. Synergies, I would call it. <laughs> yeah, let's do it together. Singapore, Switzerland, and every other country is invited. Synergies, indeed. Uh, there's there's far too much uh, fragmentation in, in the longevity space uh, so far. So uh, if anyone else has any questions in the audience, please just uh, raise your hand and we will bring you up. I have a question uh, coming from a somewhat uh, contrarian position, let's say, 
having worked in, uh, in, in cancer research at Genentech and having uh, studied that area a little bit. So, uh, you know, there's all this talk about uh, trying to bring money and, and political uh, uh, power behind the longevity uh, space. Uh, what guarantee or what would you say uh, uh, to the idea that, you know, in cancer uh, research, there has been a tremendous amount of money and effort and time and political uh, clout behind uh, all of the efforts over the last, say, 50 years from the war on cancer in the U.S. Uh, to, to the present. Uh, and even though there are some exciting developments such as uh, immunotherapy in the last couple of years, generally speaking, the, the therapies for uh, cancer have not really advanced uh, as much as people had expected, given the amount of resources that have been put behind it. So uh, what, what assurance uh, is there that something like, this, something like this won't happen in the longevity space as well? Yeah, I think nobody answers it. Maybe you have to uh, to wrap it up again. I think it was not really uh, very clear to us. Uh, essentially, um, the the cancer research space has had a tremendous amount of uh, resources and time and, and political influence put into it, and some some people say that uh, you know it hasn't produced very much. Uh, what what sort of strategy uh, do you see to try to uh, avoid the same outcome in longevity? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, that's a tough one. Maybe Colin, as a, as a scientist, uh, can a little bit uh, dig into the detail from a science perspective. But ultimately, I mean, we, we're definitely not, as Tobias already mentioned, uh, able to look in the far future. But I mean, just looking at the scientific foundations and results as we speak, what's happening in this new emerging longevity field shows that uh, there are very obvious and very fascinating, very fact-driven uh, developments uh, which are in, a, in the most extent not implemented yet. And that's where we want to start, right? I mean, if we have a discussion as the one you mentioned in, in 10 years or even 20 years from now, we will see. I'm quite sure that uh, there will be a very tangible impact on society and on uh, the humans based on these developments. But uh, yeah, it's very difficult to look into the far future at this very, very early stage. So as, as Mark mentioned, this is a very tough question. And I mean, I cannot tell you really point out what 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 went wrong there or what are the mistakes we should avoid what i can tell you is that the aging field is actually learning a lot from the cancer field right i mean when weinberg defined the hallmarks of cancer the aging field now in 2013 actually for the first time defined the hallmarks of of aging right so the nine hallmarks and these are like guidelines where where you can place any intervention or any changes in, the, in those nine hallmarks. And that's conceptually very advantage to have. So we learned something from, from the cancer field. Now, you know, the other side from the science, science is super hard, right? And so if you think about drug development, I mean, even in the, in the, in the preclinical phases, one out of 5,000 will even make it, right? And it takes a long time, a lot of money, um, and, you know, there are safety precautions in there. So I think, you know, it's 
it's not it's just it's a, it's a very difficult thing and it needs a lot of smart people to work together um but also i mean yeah yeah i i think also like the whole system if you if you you need to come you need from the academic side you need a different system right i mean the publishing system um the reward is just to go uh fast and go high impact right that's all it's counted but then there is little research done or the research or incentive given to do um applicable research right so really translating these findings and finding better ways to improve this this there for from the academic side there's less incentive and so this is all i can um can tell you from from my side here Okay, really appreciate your thoughts on this. I mean, this is a tough question. Uh, you know, don't don't get me wrong. None of us would be here if we didn't believe that uh, we can push through these challenges. But um, it's something to think about here. So we have a couple more minutes uh, for audience questions, and then we'll try to get to the lightning round. Uh, quick, uh, just to put to uh, everyone on the panel: uh, Do you have a bit of time for to go past the hour, or uh, should we have a hard wrap at, at uh, one o'clock Eastern here? I would have to leave at, at seven, unfortunately, then. Yeah, okay. same here, but feel free to continue. I can stay. Okay, uh, sounds good. So uh, let's try to get to the last couple of questions here quickly. Uh, Danny, welcome to the stage. What's your question? Uh, hi, everyone. Thank you very much, guys, for sharing your knowledge and explaining what Maximum does. My question is to the founders of Maximum, actually. How do you guys see the synergy between longevity startups and blockchain technology beyond the crypto native investors? So do you plan to leverage from the blockchain technology and is that on the pipeline? Yeah, hi Danny, nice uh, to meet you again. Uh, we know each other from our conference in St. Moritz, so very happy to see you at least virtually uh, here. Um, it's a good question. I mean, we, uh, with our background, definitely have a very close relationship uh, to the blockchain world. And I think there are a few very interesting approaches when it comes to connecting uh, research with money, for example, or where you have a blockchain-based tracking system where you can uh, put research papers on it and then you have a verified approach of all the results. So there are a few interesting startups in this field. I think at this stage, as we mentioned, we are focusing on the, the, the companies we mentioned, but we're also definitely very interested in everything which is happening in this field. I think with the blockchain and te technology in general, it's always about are you really solving a problem or are you creating something where there is literally not really a problem yet? So you solve something which is in reality, not really an existing problem. But if uh, there are interesting approaches in this field, we're definitely very interested in it. Yeah, and maybe I can add on that. I mean, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, we, we have two companies already now uh, being built. Um, supplements is one of them. Now, the good question is, we know a lot about what supplements can have a positive impact on longevity. However, we do not necessarily know who has to take what exactly and in what quantity and how often. Uh, so I take uh, NMN um, and maybe uh, whatever, Reservatrol, and Mark is better off with NMN and Spermidine. Um, so we need to find 
a lot of data, and I'm coming to the usual word big data here, we need to analyze that. And in order to do so, we need to get a lot of um, basically data points from people you know, aiming to reach longevity, both with, you know, their high intensity training, their uh, intermittent fasting, and also the supplements they take. And so all those data points need to be stored and analyzed. And I think here we talk about health data, which as you all know, is, is super sensitive. And I do think that blockchain might really be the, the right uh, technology here uh, when it comes to the, this, this critical data storage uh, so that we have anonymized data, but also can feed back to the individual there. So yes, I do see a link between longevity and blockchain. Thank you very much, guys. All right, a couple minutes left. Laura, very quickly, what's your question? Hi, thanks for having me on stage. Um, so quickly for Mark and Tobias. Um, my interest in longevity lies on the consumer experience, experience and actually making it something consumers want because um, there's no point in preaching to the converted. I am wondering, um, there's, there was a Newsweek cover that came out yesterday with uh, saying, can blood from young people slow aging? Silicon Valley has bet billions it will. The article has amazing science in it, but it's uh, really covered on the billionaires against poor people and also all the negative aspects of it. Are you planning as investors to spend money on branding and PR because longevity has it? Potentially an issue with that. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I can tell you when uh, we set up our longevity investors conference last year, we realized uh, that a uh, very blurry line in between what you can uh, present and how far you can go, at least uh, when you mainly target traditional, very high level and serious investors, which are already quite astonished by the facts of traditional longevity, let's call it that way. So that's why it's definitely also one of our missions. On the other hand, as you might know, it wouldn't be the best idea to start with the uh, most contradictory fields in this whole industry, because I think it's a little bit about building trust and really go a pure science-based path. Even as you mentioned, there are a few fields where science shows very clear results, but media somehow has its own perspective. So that's definitely also something which is on our agenda. I think uh, ultimately, as it is in crypto, if a certain journalist has a certain have a certain view and the uh, uh, analogy of uh, only billionaires are able to extend their lifespan and that's ultimately the thesis how you start to present longevity it's a yeah it's a tough stand but that's definitely something we want to challenge and tackle that answer your question yeah for sure thank you all right, thank you so much. We've got less than two minutes on the clock. So Nathan, let's go for one lightning round question with quick answers from everybody, and then we'll, uh, we'll let people uh, leave at, at the hour. Okay, so everybody on the panel, first question is, how long do you want to live? 120, and I would like to stay healthy until I die. Yeah, I don't have a number, but uh, ultimately uh, as well, healthy till the last day and happy. 
I would like at least to go to 90, but in very good health. And then the decline should be less than three months and I will be happy. All right. Uh, you want to do one more, Nathan, or we, we got to close it at, uh, in less than a minute? Yeah, let's just close it up here. I think that was a great way to end. And uh, thank you so much, Mark, Colin, and Tobias uh, for coming on our show. Yeah, yeah so. it was a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank and I mean, Colin, feel free to stay on stage. Thanks a lot for having us and also to the audience. It was uh, exciting. And we're just in the, in the beginning. So um, hopefully we have to share far more in a not a far future from now. Looking forward to it. Yeah, also thank you from my side. Thanks for organizing, uh, Robert and Nathan. Um, and of course, also Colin uh, for, to join us from you know, uh, the, the scientific side uh, and, and covering our back here. <laughs> and thanks for the audience. I think it's great that you're interested in the topic that that's you are early moving. Uh, and I think we will hear much more. And I look forward to meet you all soon again on that topic. Thank you so much to everybody. Uh, just a quick reminder to stay up to date on uh, the upcoming uh, shows and uh, other news and longevity scene. Please follow me and Nathan uh, here and on Twitter. Uh, also, the Longevity Show Twitter account and longevitybiotechshow.com. Uh, and you can also follow Nathan's newsletter at uh, longevitymarketcap.com. So thanks again, everybody, for showing up. Uh, we had a fantastic conversation. Uh, Colin, if you have a few minutes to stay on after the hour here, uh, you're welcome. Uh, Mark, Tobias, uh, thanks again. We will have a recording of this up uh, on, uh, on YouTube or on the website uh, in a few days' time. So feel free to leave quietly. And <laughs> there we go. Um, I guess I'll open up the hand raising again to everybody. There we go. And again, just a reminder for everyone here, this is being recorded. So if you come up on stage, you're consenting to have your voice and image part of the recording. Uh, all right, so uh, any other questions from the audience? We can continue here. Uh, Colin, thank you so much uh, for also taking the hard question from me at the end there. Uh, I think it's something that uh, has been on a lot of people's minds, certainly in, in the drug development space. Um, there is the so-called Erum's Law, Moore's Law spent, spelled backwards, uh, you know, discussing the uh, exponential trend going in the wrong direction, where it's uh, actually getting exponentially more expensive for uh, drugs to be developed compared to a couple of decades ago. So as far as I know, at least, this is still an open question as to why. And uh, hopefully the... Uh, the this decade and, and developments in longevity will will start to reverse that yeah i mean first of all thank you robin nathan for uh, the great interview you did the great split between you know the science part and, and and the business part and yes i mean if we had the answer to your question there that would be wonderful right and we could um, at least learn from the mistakes but again the mistakes to me at least are not quite clear cut what went wrong right so it, it's a very complex uh situation colin can i follow up on that um maybe, maybe i agree it's like a very a delicate topic but uh, maybe looking from another direction what do you currently think is going wrong in the longevity field for example, I think for personally, I think like that we still like sometimes do like uh, aging study in young animals is probably something that is not optimal. 
but like uh, from your uh, perspective, what do you think could the aging research field do better to, in a way, produce better results that are like more reproducible and have like more, more things standing behind them? Yeah, thank you, Max. I mean, uh, you're correct. I mean, most of the studies are done actually in young mice, right? You do these interventions and usually if you would compare it to humans, it would be you would do the intervention when a person is 20 years old and then you wait up to the next 60 or 80 years and see uh, and see the effects, right? And so that is, is one thing. And and so we are currently actually trying to to change this with, you know, there's a, a group in, in our institute, um, the former Mitchell lab, where they use a so-called frailty index. And so they look at all the mice. And so this index is actually tell me how, uh, you know, what's the health status of those animals. And then a quick way to address this is actually to test any therapeutic interventions and see how that changes this frailty score. Frailty score is also used uh, in humans in, as clinical um, readout, right? And so that will change. But again, we need better models to really address uh, aging itself, right? And so I think they they are coming. They're not there yet. And you know, every model you have is just a, a little aspect of a certain things, right? And so this is also one problem why. Um, most of the findings or most drugs don't really translate right um, to human applications. And, and so uh, what is the aging field doing wrong? I mean, or the longevity field doing wrong? I don't think per se they do anything wrong. I mean, sometimes it's a trial and error and I think it's a very young field and it has to find or balancing where where to go and what what directions to go, right? And so, of course, there are going to be lots of mis hiccups and mistakes on the way. But I think the more excitement is coming up, at least the last you know five to ten years, it's just astonishing how fast the field is moving. Per se, again, what it's really needed would be some vision or some sight where the field is going. Also from the research side, right? where what are the next things we should tackle right should we just tackle slowing aging morphologies or slowing um, damage accumulation or can we really tackle that we can rejuvenate or replace certain broken things and um, with this we also have then to think in terms of ethics right what what interventions are actually ethical to do using CRISPR-Cas9, for example, or, or something in, in that direction. So I think it's going to be exciting to, to move forward. Yeah, this, uh, if I can just follow on that, uh, Colin, uh, very uh, interesting that you brought up uh, that it would be useful to have a vision uh, for what to pursue here. Do you think it would be useful to have a science and technology roadmap for longevity, similar to how other fields have this? Uh, the most famous example is in semiconductors, but um, there are other areas, I believe, that uh, have such uh, uh, outlines for near-term research. Would that be useful in longevity as well? I think, yes. I, I think, to. I mean, there's always pros and cons to any approach, but I think it would be useful, and it would be actually useful that if, you know, you know science and industry and everybody could come together 
and figure out such kind of plan. I don't think everybody's going to agree and everybody ha would have a different things, but if you could really like come up with one or two or three visions where to go, I think that would move the field forward. At the moment, I don't see any clear path, clear vision, or you know what what can be can be addressed. What be would be a real long term goal? What be would be the moonshots to to go after, right? And what can we translate now now already, right? So on that note, uh, in your opinion or in your in your estimation. Uh, what are, say, the top three outstanding open problems of the field at the moment? Oh, my God, that, that is another difficult question, right? Uh, I mean, this is the same thing, like, uh, you, you know, the story when young Einstein came to the professor and asked, you know, what are the three unsolved problems in mathematics <laughs> and physics, right? And uh, and he and that professor was able to give him the, those outstanding problems. And to be quite honest, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know those uh, three problems. I mean, I only can tell you what it, my biased opinion is, right? Um, but yes, I I really I really don't know. Okay, fair answer. I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to be to to be put next to uh, uh, such a distinguished uh, anecdote, historical anecdote there. But uh, Max, Nathan, you both had comments here. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to comment about the the E rooms law. Um, there was a paper in uh, I believe Nature in 2020 last year that sort of uh, noted that E rooms law had been broken though because you know it's no longer getting more and more expensive. It's kind of leveled off, uh, sorry, more and more expensive to develop new drugs. It's actually uh, leveled off a little bit and uh, I think it's getting a little cheaper. So I, I just wanted to dispel that myth of Ibram's law that it, you know, we're on this trajectory of doom. It's, it's not true. <laughs> well, that's, that's fair, but it has been true for 50 years. So, you know, compared yes. to the 1950s, uh, it's still very much more expensive than it was. Even if it's leveled oh. off now, which is which yes, is a promising step. Yes, yes. Well, I'm just trying to say it's it's not like the future has been determined. Uh, okay, so uh, good point. But then uh, the the second point that I wanted to put out is um, regards to cancer and how much money has been put into cancer, but the the results haven't been as much as we have wanted. But I would just like to point out that there have been advances, right, which you have noted. Whereas in longevity, we still don't have any proof that uh, we've been able to modulate biological aging in humans. So I think the very first step would be just to show that we can make a change, even if even if it doesn't pan out to be as big as we wanted initially in the first you know decade or so. I think just making a any amount of progress is going to be huge, right? Because that's the first zero to one. Yeah, fully agree there. Yeah, I guess I would agree with like what, what Nathan just said, right? I mean, you obviously have like all those great projects and moonshot projects, um, which we hopefully get to some point in the future. But I think the entire field will have like a much easier way once we have like a first clinical trial that literally proves it black and white on paper that we were like ex able to extend health or lifespan, be it only like for a few months or like for a few years in humans. I think once that is working, I think... Uh, money is rolling in and we probably won't have to worry anymore about funding any other research, uh, including moonshot projects. Um, but I think maybe that goes together like with the, what 
Colin was what what's the vision of the field, uh, which is hard to tell. Right? Maybe we should push like for like some easy events first before like even like talking about moonshoot projects. Um, but then the question is, what are the easy events, and are there any easy wins to begin with? So I'm I'm gonna take this up. So first of all, I mean, one thing with with all those truck development or, or trucks to put on the market is the huge problem that you know that the humans all uh, different, right? So if you have a truck and you know it, usually the truck works in one out of 10 people or three out of 10 people, right? There was a great nature paper in 2015. We are showing that heterogeneity and the need for personalizing uh, medicine in that kind of form. So I think now with all these new technology and health tech and things like that, and, and you know, all these omics data, maybe we can go into this more personalized medicine area to really like, you know, get, you know, targeted approaches for for the patient, right? And so I think that would definitely move the cancer field forward because breast cancer is not breast cancer. There's so many different subtypes and chemo resistant ones and things like that. So I think that would be a, a fruitful approach. Now um, to to the clinical trials or to, to prove any proof in humans that it works, I mean, as you know, and also in, 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 in this chat room is that, you know, you know, there is no clinical trial for aging or aging is not approved as a disease or not considered to be a disease, at least for clinical trials, right? And so, so the real proof of concept is going to be hard. To me, the lowest hanging fruit, honestly, is, you know, those, those clinical trials using either um, intermittent fasting or time-restricted fasting, where at least in pre-diabetic humans, uh, males at least, um, we see good changes, right? Health parameters that, that change. And so for me, the next low-hanging fruits would be do a combinational trial between um, things that we know work to extend a lifespan or health span. So, you know, combine exercise with, you know, intermittent fasting kind of things, and then really figure out, you know, a program that works and a way that we can actually personalize these programs to, to different people, because, you know, everybody has a different recovery time for the exercise. Everybody um, reacts differently to the food. So you need some glucose monitoring, whether you spike glucose uh, eating um, brown rice or ice cream or things like that. And I think if you can, adapt these things, I think you will make real progress in uh, terms of health, which leads to a better life quality during aging. So just to, uh, to follow on to this, um, I thought of a different way of, of phrasing my early question, actually, um, maybe to get your, your own, uh, as you say, biased opinion, but, but your, yours is a very uh, well-biased opinion, I would say. Um, what important truth or, or, or uh, you know, hypothesis do, do few people agree with you on? And related to this, what do you think is uh, uh, likely to be uh, overstated at the moment in the field? Like something that people believe generally, but that is, uh, is probably wrong. So you ask me this, um, as you know, I'm, 
I'm Swiss and Swiss people are pretty neutral, right? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so pointing out things that I think are not gonna work or, or overstated or inflated, um, I think I'm not gonna make, uh, I keep it private, right? Um, because okay. again, <laughs> You know, you always can be wrong, right? And so it's just, you know, the personal opinion. I mean, the exciting part would be, you know, to find any intervention or any company that can make a real breakthrough, right? And, you know, if only one of these different interventional aspects really work, um, that would be wonderful, right? And make a real impact. So, um, yeah, that's all how I want to comment on that. Fair enough. Uh, if, if I may, uh, just one follow-on and then can change the subject. Um, so we had uh, Joel Pedro de Magalhães from the University of Liverpool, uh, also very prominent in the space, uh, long-time uh, longevity proponent and researcher. And uh, we had him on our Q&A a couple weeks ago. He made a very interesting comment at one point saying that uh, the hallmarks of aging are um, possibly uh, kind of misleading uh, or that, that they're a little bit overused something to that effect uh, what, uh and, and you know in, in that paper for example um the it's the most cited paper at the moment in in the field uh the the only mention of the hallmarks is is kind of uh, in a qualitative descriptive way there's no quantitative measure and and pedro went further and said that in fact uh that these hallmarks are probably uh kind of just what's popular right now and he gave i think the example of um was it oxidative stress or something used to be uh, more uh, considered uh, some years ago and now is, is less popular, something along these lines. Uh, do you have any comment on this? Um, you know, I, uh, I, in certain certain extent, I agree with Pedro. I mean, Pedro is a, is a collaborator also with me and we do um, science together and uh, have nice conversations. And, you know, I mean, these hallmarks of aging, you just really have to look at them as, as guidelines, right? And they shouldn't be set in stone. And it's the first version, right? And with any first version, everything could be uh, right or wrong, right? And I think now these are done from 2013. And I guess we have to um, update them or, and, and revise them, right? Because the system is pretty complex. But the nice thing with these hallmarks is they just simplify the whole thing. They just conceptualize the whole thing. Yes, and I agree with, with Pedro, they're not capturing everything and they're not capturing the complexity of the system. And you know, it doesn't capture at all um, the system's biology that is really going on, right? There are multiple layers interacting together and that's kind, kind of lost. Very interesting. Thanks for your thoughts. So uh, we have another speak, uh, person on the panel here. Angie, uh, welcome to the stage. Do you have a question for Colin or just to add the conversation? Uh, yeah. Hi. Um, once again, I'm Angie. I didn't know I would be on this fast. So um, I am Angie. I live in Los Angeles. I have I created the Ageless Rebellion a couple of years ago and did a lot of research at the time. That was maybe yeah three four years ago, and there was uh, and still is a conference called Radfest R A A D Fest, and uh, they invited amazing speakers, and were kind of forerunners in the industry. There was also a huge floor uh, selling products, anti 
aging and longevity and life extension products. And in my opinion, or what I then heard, sorry, I was just running. Um, there were lots of clinical trials in place, already done, uh, in process. I had a panel the other day with Liz Parrish from BioViva. They did a, clin a clinical trial on uh, life extension via telomeres extension. Uh, so I did not quite get this. Why are you saying that there are no uh, clinical uh, proof research uh, tests on the way? I wondered if I misunderstood or um, what you were talking about. Thank you so much. I'm Angie and I'm done. Dear Angie, this is uh, thank you for your um, for your, for your comments. So I mean, uh, what you have to distinguish is that uh, you know there are clinical trials, um, but the you know there are different endpoints that they measure, right? So they might say, okay, we have an intervention, and we look at telomer length, or we look at other molecular changes like the transcriptome or the gene expression in muscle, how a drug would affect that, right? But but the endpoint you really want is to um, improve health and make you survive for longer, right? And and that is not considered. And and the second part is you know, I mean, some of those ones are done you know on um, orphan diseases, so to speak. So uh, you know um, you know very uh, you know specialized parts of it, and they just want to show show one aspect. And the, and the last part is that you mentioned these conferences with these, um, you know, uh, purity products and things like that. And there are a lot of uh, clinical trials on, you know, skin health and elasticity and, and, uh, and, and, and well-being in this kind of respect. And of course, again, they just look how your skin changes and how uh, less wrinkles you have which definitely will have a positive effect on your psyche because you look in the mirror and you look much more younger and you feel more positive, right? And that gives you a little bit more, more energy. But again, um, I was talking about hardcore clinical trials to really show that there is an effect on, on lifespan, right? That the, the people age slower and are more uh, and healthier. Uh, yeah, that was uh, exactly my point also. It was not about wrinkles and beauty it was about uh, rod fest is uh, about life extension radical life extension they call it and um, there were people uh, speakers like um, uh, Ray Kurzweil and Aubrey de Grey and Liz Parrish and Liz Parrish uh, the woman from I mentioned before from BioViva she was her own clinical trial she uh, they had um, a method, they have a method to extend your telomeres. We, and I'm not a, <laughs> a scientist, so I cannot repeat this in a, in a probably, in a, you know, per perfect way. But uh, the, their trial uh, ex actually extended her telomeres. So that is definitely in the direction of life extension. And it was a trial that was successful. So, yeah, RADFEST is not about wrinkles it's about our lives and um, what I have seen is and that was 
you know part of my question i had seen and and heard about and they and they demonstrated especially in stem cell research uh, lots of trials and successful trials so that's what i wanted to add and um, maybe you know they they are worth checking out and i guess they will do another conference uh, next year uh, thank you so much i'm angie and yeah, thanks for that. So uh, if I can just add, maybe Colin can confirm, uh, Liz Parrish's experiment there on herself, uh, which to my understanding is, is still kind of unclear to, to the larger community. Um, a proper clinical trial requires a much larger number of uh, people in the trial in order to be sure of the effect. Um, it also has to be randomized and all kinds of controls and there's it's uh, there's a very extensive process and and uh, all of this is designed to protect against false uh, positive results because you can always have something that works in uh, in one person and not another and uh, you can see this happening for example in um, in the mrna vaccines against covid that are going on right now uh, it's it's essentially you know uh, kind of a gigantic trial where rare exceptional conditions are showing up for some of the uh, vaccines that are that are scaring people. Um, so you know, as much as it might have worked for Liz, uh, and that is a positive, uh, uh, encouraging result. Um, you know, she she's just one person, and and in order to really be sure, you got to try with uh, a much larger number. But if I can add to this, because uh, you brought up a point now, which is uh, I think very very interesting, relevant. Um, certainly going back to what Laura was saying, uh, which is uh, you know the longevity space. Uh, aging biology, perhaps a bit less so in the academic uh, context, but but certainly the longevity seen more as seen from con consumers. <clears throat> Excuse me. It has um, a connotation of being uh, associated strongly with uh, with people like those at the Radfest. In other words, uh, uh, radical life extensionists, who, people who are uh, very very much in the direction of uh, you know to to prolong uh, life uh, indefinitely and, and go even beyond that. With transhumanism and other such uh, ideas, um, at at all costs, essentially, and um, I guess uh, I wanted to follow on to this and say, while it's interesting to to go in that direction, certainly, um, Colin, perhaps you can add your, if, if you're willing to share your thoughts on this, what is your impression of the uh, benefits and and pitfalls of the aging biology and longevity space being associated too strongly? or too closely with the uh, radical life extension movement and, and uh, other such uh, areas? I mean, you know, I, it, my core expertise is, as, you know, as a scientist. And I mean, I must say, I, I had a PhD student who was uh, really interested in transhumanism and, and things like that. And it was really fun, actually, also to discuss these, these things uh, with him. It's just, um, you know, to me, my, my goal is really to extend um, health uh, during aging, really that you, the life quality and the, uh, yeah, how, how you feel and be independent as an old person. That's my, my personal goal, right? So my personal goal is to live to 90, maybe 100, have, have a good life, uh, not many diseases, right? And just be, you know, fit, uh, mobile, can independent, don't depend on anybody, need no help, and then the decline can be fast. And I think by then, I've seen most of it, I've seen it all. I mean, now, uh, even at my age, I can say, like, also say in French, 
déjà fait, déjà vu, uh, already done, already seen a couple of things, right? And but this is my personal view and opinion. So, uh, you know, I think it's important to, you know, at least at least how I handled it in in my own lab is to uh, embrace different opinions and different uh, cultures, right? Because if we all work together and we have a common goal to work too, um, then I think that makes it more interesting and also more successful. Very interesting. If I may say, it's one of the most uh, interesting and, and uh, balanced responses I've heard on such a, a topic uh, anywhere. So thanks for that. Um, we're just con I'm conscious of the time here. So we are now going at half an hour past our initial uh, time. Uh, do you have time to stay longer? Are you willing to come back perhaps another time and discuss some of these things? Um, and of course, if anyone else has any uh, points, uh, please feel free to comment. So from my side, I have, unfortunately, I have a lot of fun, but I have to wrap it up. I have a, a next meeting to go to, but I'd be more than happy to uh, keep talking with you guys in another session. Um, to me, it was a lot of fun. And also, you know, it's also always nice to learn um, uh, different aspects or different way of thinking about the same problem. Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to scheduling another call at some other time. Uh, Nathan, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, maybe we'll close the room in a, in, a, in a minute or two here. Or actually, you know, you know Colin, uh, you can feel free to leave. Uh, we, can, we can leave the room open just for whoever's still here that wants to discuss. Uh, that's what we usually do here. Yeah, I forgot to tell everybody on the call when we were recording, but uh, next week, uh, on the show, we're going to be having um, Kishav Singh uh, from the University of Alabama and uh, Greg Schmergel. Uh, they are uh, co-founders at uh, Yuva Biosciences. So this is a spin out from uh, uh, Dr. Kishav's work at University of Alabama. Uh, they're using mitochondrial therapies to potentially reverse aging. So I encourage everybody who's interested in this stuff and uh, maybe people who are looking at it from the business development side, or if you're an academic thinking about, oh, how do I spin stuff out from the university? That's uh, going to be a great talk to uh, attend. So next week, uh, it's going to be at original time. So uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. All right, so you know what? Um, maybe what we can do here is what we did uh, one of the other times and, and create a separate room for, for just the longevity open in the chat. Uh, we had an amazing conversation here. Uh, wanted to thank Colin again for, for uh, joining with, um, with Mark and Tobias. And uh, uh, thank you for taking an extra half an hour here. This was a fantastic conversation and, and we really should try to do this again. Uh, and maybe I can follow up with you uh, offline about some of the stuff that we talked about, for example, the, the vision and the, you know, where to go, maybe some of these open questions. Uh, I didn't mean to be too, too hard of a questioner here. Um, but uh, I, I really appreciated your, your uh, views on this. So again, uh, both, uh, thank you, um, Robin and Nathan, for this very interesting conversation. And I look forward to chat more offline, online, wherever, and uh, everybody else who's staying on, 
um, just feel free to contact me if you have any questions or you want to discuss uh, anything. So with that, thank you so much. Had a fun time and um, enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thanks everybody. Uh, Nathan, I think I'll close the room. Uh, feel free to open up a new one and uh, so we can stop the recording and have the open-ended chat here.